Welcome to Tail Chase. I'm Nick. And I'm Graham. I <sighs> have faces. Yeah, yeah. First time uh, recording, so you guys can see what we look like, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I, I kind of randomly saw you the other day, so that was nice. But this, other than that, this is the first time I've got to see you in a while. Yeah, it, uh, it's been crazy, man. I hope yeah. all you listeners out there are doing all right with all this. It's a crazy time in our country and the world, really. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it's winding down. Did your when did your guys' like stay at home order go down? Go up or like stop? This week. today's okay. Friday. It it quit on Monday. Okay. Yeah. So and you have you been able to work through this whole time? Yeah. Yeah. I I haven't, uh, had too huge of an impact. They had us like some of our, I I drive a truck for CentOS and some of the, uh, customers that we have were put on hold during this because, you know, restaurants and stuff. All right. Peregrine's baiting in the background. Um, some of the restaurants and stuff have been put on hold with this, but other than that, really no huge impacts other than having to wear a mask around all the time, which is really annoying when you're already sweaty and you yeah. know, doing manual labor, but not as crazy as what you've had to go through being a nurse on a COVID floor. Yeah. I don't know. It was, it, it was interesting. Like I, I, it was minorly inconvenient, like all the PPE rules and things like that. But I really feel like my hospital took pretty good care of us and our patients. Um, like, uh, they got us like free food all the time. And so that was kind of nice to not have to Mm. bring a lunch. Um, and they did it for day shift and night shift. Um, and then, uh, like we wore like, you know, the whole gowns and then like a hood thing with like tubing that ran down to a pack that fed clean air, filtered air mm-hmm. into your hood. Um, and so uh, we ran those for a couple weeks, but then um, we were reusing a lot of equipment and frequently using a lot of equipment. So like just to conserve PPE. So, um, we started finding that the batteries wore out quickly on those. Those are called PAPRs. Um, I can't remember what PAPR stands for, uh, but those are called PAPRs and the batteries were wearing out. And so then we switched to N95s, which are the, you know, high grade face masks. Right. And, uh, we had those for a while and, and like a face shield um and they got fairly like you know because we're trying to conserve ppe and they got fairly innovative with like we used to use disposable gowns and then they moved to um, washable gowns um so we could reuse them Mm -hmm. you know multiple times instead of um you know going through so much ppe just in case the healthcare system did get overwhelmed sure um and then uh, uh, our N95s, like, um, and our face shields and stuff, uh, they learned that we could um, put them in a room with a UV light, mm-hmm. and that would, uh, at least in theory, sanitize them. Gotcha. Um, 
and so you could reuse them a couple times. I mean, we definitely had it a lot better than some people, like, you know, in New York, New Orleans, places like that. I mean, they definitely had it a lot rougher than we did. Gotcha. So are you guys still like a COVID only floor right now? Or So I work on a cardiac unit. And so we deal with a lot of like heart attacks, pacemakers, things like that. People going into funky rhythms. Um, but we're critical care like trained. So along with ICU, we also were one of the floors that started taking COVID patients or um, as we called them, PUIs, patient under investigation, like when we were waiting for the test to come back. Um, and uh, when we were waiting for the test to come back, um, so half of our unit was just designated just for uh, COVID slash PUIs. Um, gotcha. And then the other half stayed cardiac, but we weren't taking any elective procedures. And just like last week, they switched us back to straight up cardiac again. And we're starting to do elective procedures because they feel like we've adequately flattened the curve, at least for now. And, gotcha. uh, and, uh, and it's safe enough to start doing Because, you know, when you stop everything, there's people who are like, you know, they got a heart problem that maybe it's not going to kill them right now, but they're walking a fine line and they're like, oh, well, I'm not going to go to the hospital because, you know, I don't want to get COVID or whatever. Sure. So like there's a, there's a cost to benefit ratio of people who have not necessarily uh, non-elective procedures, but procedures that need to be done eventually who are having to sit there and wait it out while we say, stay home let us get this COVID thing figured out and then you can come in, you know, people are suffering right. because of that. Sure. People with other health conditions. Um, and so now, like I said, we feel like it's safe enough for them to start coming back and, uh, and we're going to take care of them, um, get them sorted out. But I think people are still scared to yeah. uh, even go to a hospital, you know? Yeah. I, I think that's going to be around for a while. Let's talk about mm -hmm. something a little bit brighter. Okay. Uh, <laughs> All right. I feel like I'm sure people are inundated with information about this particular topic. So yeah, I did get oh, to see yeah. you um, this week, which is kind of yeah. That was weird. so random. Yeah. So like, I I have you know a route that I run each week, and part of what I run is down in an area by the Eleven Point River, and I don't even remember why I texted you. I think it was maybe to see if we could record a podcast this week or whatever. And you're mm -hmm. like, Oh, I'll, I'll stop by tonight. I'm like, no, I said, I, I don't know. I said, do you want me to stop by on my way home? Mm. And you were like, what do you mean? Yeah. Cause we live yeah. three hours away from each other. Yeah. So <laughs> I called you and I was like, what do you, what do you mean? Stop by. And you're like, well, I'm down here fishing the 11 point. I'm like I am working down here today. Why don't we grab lunch? <laughs> Yeah. Um, and we were even in the same town. Like I was in yeah. West Plains, you were in West Plains. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was good to see you, even though we couldn't even as much as shake hands, but yeah. Grabbed a bite to eat and then went on went on a merry way. But mm -hmm. how how was fishing the eleven point? Um, it was good. Like we you know, we've been chomping at the bit like for the stay at home order to be lifted, you know. Mm -hmm. Um and so when like 
it had just come off when we were down there. Uh, and the, the girlfriend that I was with, um, she lives on the Missouri side, which they opened, I think May 4th or something. And then Kansas, the Kansas side isn't going to open till like May 15th. I don't even know off the top of my head, but, uh, so it was okay. And like, we could definitely have had a better time if we'd been more prepared. Like we could have rented a kayak or canoe and floated the thing. But, um, we also dealt with some rain that was just kind of in and out. Um, yeah. there was like a squall that came up, like we were on. So the Irish wilderness, um, the 11 point river runs through the Irish wilderness down there. And there's like one road that I know of that cuts through it. And it's kind of a mountain road. And we were driving through that. And then this squall rolled through and like limbs started dropping off the trees and we're in her little RAV4. And then like the water from the little creeks and stuff started running over the road. And yeah, I mean, it got a little, little hairy there for a second, but then it cleared and, and uh, we did a little fishing and didn't catch anything, but I really think, to fish it adequately um there's just not a lot of foot access you know mm -hmm. without some serious hiking um and also in, in a lot of places it looks like the water is quite deep mm -hmm. and so you would need like if you're fly fishing you need sinking line gotcha. um, to get your nymphs or your streamers down deep enough to get to the fish and gotcha. then there's a lot of i mean it's like a big river big and deep and only weightable in spots so like there's a lot of pockets that like if you're floating by on a canoe you could be like "Ooh, let's like pull over real quick and hit that little hole right there mm -hmm. and then hop in the canoe and keep going that really don't have much bank access unless you knew right where to go and you hiked and hiked and hiked and hiked to get gotcha. there you know well, we mean? should float it man i've got a canoe so yeah one of my uh like facebook friends i saw floated at roundabouts the same time we were there mm. And uh, she floated like 40 miles or 60 miles of it or something. Wow. Yeah. That's like a three and or four day float funny. probably. Yeah. It was, it was multiple day float and, uh, and there were people floating it when we were there, but it was funny cause like I kind of, we kind of went skinny dipping in one of the springs <laughs> and uh, uh, so she, then like my friend posts these pictures of like the spring that we were skinny dipping in. So like they totally could have rolled through, <laughs> like it's, they could have seen some things they didn't want to see, you know, it's funny, but it's beautiful. Blue yeah. water, clear water. Yeah. yeah. It's really, a pretty, pretty really part cold. of the state down there. I bet. I yeah. Bet. Yeah. That spring was freezing. Um, yeah, it's pretty, it's not, not for me though. I mean, like I would never want to live there. No. Not good for falconry, that's for sure. No, no. I mean, you'd be a hell of a squirrel hawker. Like, you'd be in great shape. But for long winging, yeah. And then we went to uh, Dan Cover's place. Mm -hmm. You know, the one he donated to the conservation department back in the day? Yeah, yeah, I've and, been on it. Uh, huh? I've been on it before. Yeah, you quail hunted it with your dog? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, like, there I could kind of picture flying a long wing, you know, but still it was just like, and he had no telemetry back then either. So, like, how he was able to fly birds for multiple seasons, I have no idea. I don't know. No idea. Because, like, 
it's, I don't know, it's not like Eastern Washington or Montana or Western Kansas where like, yeah, they go down out of your site, but most likely like if you launch a, your lure up in the air, or launch your pigeon up in the air, they're going to see it. Mm. No, out there, if they go down out of sight, like they ain't going to see it. That's you know, that's why I've got it. GPS, man, because it's it's the same area I'm flying down here. It's the we're we're in the Ozarks, so mm-hmm. it's you know very heavily treed and a lot up and down. It, it's mm-hmm. we're not too far. If you go probably half hour, forty five minutes west, it starts to plane out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but where I'm at, it's it's still like the bird goes very far away at all. She's out of sight, mm-hmm. and she you're just hoping that she. You can remembers where you were yeah which is funny because that's how one of the things that i really picked up on this year from having gps is i know right where she is so mm-hmm. she loops around i can tell okay she's still in the air it looks like she's chasing something or whatever or no she's sitting in a tree and uh-huh. so many times she'd go and sit in a tree after chasing something or after getting bored or whatever and i'd sit around for a couple minutes and then go okay i'll go pick her up start heading to the car by the time I get to the car here she comes back flying over yeah so it's like it's so nice having that tool at your disposal and not just having a direction and a rough estimate of how far like you know where she is and what she's doing at any mm-hmm. given moment yeah I really wonder you'd have to talk to somebody who's flown a lot of like chamber birds a lot of everything imprints chambers uh and passage birds but I'm also starting to find out that if you just sit tight, they'll be back. You know, like yeah. more than once I've chased my uh, prey falcon. I only had to chase her a couple times um, this year. And even then I like left the area and the telemetry led me right back. And she was like up and, you know, up overhead. Mm-hmm. And even once like I, you know, I'd be reluctant to leave because sometimes she'd go really high and I mean, she's kind of a big flyer. So like, I don't have GPS. So like, I know she's out there up there somewhere, but I've mm-hmm. lost her. And, uh, and I, I don't know, like one time I, I didn't flush cause I didn't, I couldn't find her, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I waited for like 20 minutes, like hoping to catch sight of her and waving my telemetry around. And then eventually she just came down and it was like, dang it like i know she was up there somewhere and and she came down from a good pitch like or from a good position like it was vertical you know when i mm-hmm. picked her up coming down and if i was not a cheapskate and just invested in gps it'd be flushing you know yeah i'm telling I, you it's... it's on the it's on the horizon i'm gonna get one can't live without it once i've tasted it i can't can't do without it anymore yeah you got to fly with it a little bit this year borrowing somebody else's and that uh mm-hmm. i think that hooked you and i'm telling you man it's the best investment i've ever made i cannot imagine trying to fly this season without it yeah at least down here it, it might be a little bit different if you were you know out in western kansas or something but mm-hmm. even even then even then mm-hmm. it has a lot of value yeah yeah so many oh it's just I don't know. Other people much more articulate than me have already talked about the benefits of it, but it, it just can't be overstated or overestimated. Like it's huge. Yeah. Huge. Especially with long wings. Right. And you know, some people I think can look at it or phrase it like it's a crutch, but Uh 
I, I think it's just oh, another figure. tool in your, just yeah. in your toolkit. Yeah. There, yeah. Falconry is not one of those things where like you're, you're overly handicapping the game in any way. Like you're already at a huge disadvantage and to have something that allows you to have more knowledge in your mm-hmm. uh, arsenal. I'm yeah. all for it. Oh, because think about how much of falconry is like you not knowing stuff. Exactly. Exactly. You know? And and yeah, there's there's something to be said for you know having faith in your bird and being able to use telemetry well. I absolutely get that. And if you don't want to fly with GPS, that's fine. I I'm not gonna uh not gonna harp on you about that. It's your choice. Mm-hmm. But to me, if you can afford to do it and you're flying long wings, it is a very worthwhile investment. Yeah. Yeah, I would have to agree with you now. Um, it, I mean, well, just thinking about, you know, I've only had one bird killed on me like while flying um, by another bird. And like that, that would have changed everything. If I knew right where she was yeah, right away, I mean, that would, that would change everything. I wouldn't have gone you know, a quarter mile past her to make sure that I did make it past her so that I could get my telemetry pointed back the other direction. Cause that's what I try to do is if my bird's headed a direction, I try to, with traditional telemetry, I just head that direction as fast as I can and try to get past them. Mm-hmm. So you can triangulate. So I can triangulate and hopefully if they're still moving, then they are coming towards me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then we meet somewhere in the middle and, uh, I wouldn't have done that. And then I, I just, I would have recovered her so much quickly, so much more quickly and uh, might have made a difference. And I'd be so many times this year, I was thinking, God, I wish I had Selena. Like I wish I had, cause what you need with a Prairie Falcon. Um, although, I mean, if my bird would have, well, we'll get into it here in a minute, but it is so nice to have a bird that is a thousand feet high at least and dead overhead when it comes to flying chickens, especially a bird like a prairie falcon that doesn't have the speed that like a jerkin has or a jerk peregrine has or even a peregrine has. Mm-hmm. And so like you can't screw around. It's like hunting with a recurve. You know, yeah, they, they you can do spectacular things with a recurve, but everything's gotta be right. Set up, everything's gotta be perfect, you know, and that's part of the appeal for me is um you like to suffer. Yeah, you know, I do a little bit. Um, but, I mean, Selena was religious. Like, she would be a 1,000 feet high, dead overhead consistently. Oh, she was so reliable. And, like, it just the season, I would like to think, would have been way different for me this year. And I'm not complaining. It was a good season. But it sure would have been a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, with a made bird chasing chickens instead of trying to enter a bird on chickens like yeah yeah well you you're set up pretty well for next season so i think so i think so and i think i'm gonna you know reading uh pitcher's book and i've read some of uh chingren's book his second uh art of hawking sage grouse book um and taking some things that i've learned there and then just experience now uh i'm gonna try to make my bird a more just well-rounded game hawk just kill everything doesn't matter little ducks big ducks pheasants 
whatever, you know, um, and uh, not be so set on like, I'm just going to kill prairie chickens with my prairie falcon. Like that is all I want to do, but I feel like, I don't know, I might've been too narrow-minded or like tunnel vision on that is the end goal and trying to start with that um, without like boosting her confidence and just building her uh, as an overall game hawk instead of a specialist. You know? Sure. Yeah. So, so let's get into the season a little bit. Um, okay. We we haven't really put out anything about trapping the peregrine. Yeah. Because the uh, the time that we tried to record it, you fell asleep, <laughs> sitting up. <laughs> so yeah. just talk about that a little bit, and then get into okay. kind of the progression of our seasons. Okay. So obviously, I went down and trapped my peregrine down on Padre this year, and had a really great time. And I won't turn it into a long story, but. Um, I just tell you the story of, of catching her uh, and there will be an expletive in this. So little kids be, be aware. Cause I, it, it's part of the story. Um, so we've been trapping for a few days, me and uh, Jim, a uh, friend of mine from down here in Springfield who took the time to go down with me and, and help me trap. And we'd had multiple pigeons out for birds, had a handful of different peregrines come in and just, had trouble getting them to bind. We helped another guy catch a bird like right at last light who I, I don't think he would have caught the peregrine without our help. So it's like, dang, we're like this freaking close. And we've only got a few days left and we're driving on the beach. And it was like 11 o'clock in the you know, late morning, which is not typically a great time. And you're driving up and down like 30-ish miles of beach. It's hard on your vehicle. It's hard on you because you're having to pay attention and there's lots of ruts. And uh, you're looking for a bird that's on the beach or close enough where you can get a trap out. But it's there's a lot of trash and stuff. And so you don't always see them. And I didn't see this bird sitting on the beach until the last second. And I bumped her and I'm driving. And I was like ticked off at this point. And so I just floored it up the beach got the truck up going way faster than I should have trying to get in front of her. Cause if you throw a pigeon, you can hoop and holler, but the likelihood that they're going to turn and come into it is not great unless the pigeons in front of them and they get a good view of it. So I needed to get in front of this bird and the, the section of the beach we were on, there's big dunes on one side and she kind of headed out over the dunes towards the Laguna side. I'm like, crap. And as I'm flying down there, Jim goes, you're going to, could kill us <laughs> and i'm like no i'm not I'm, we're good and so i just head right into the surf and i'd look over at jim and the bird that we had bumped Wait, you drove into the ocean like just on the edge of the surf because it's hard pack oh. right there oh. and so you can go a little faster and it's typically smoother you got to be careful uh, because sometimes there are washouts that you can hit and okay I, I ended up having to replace a transfer case in my truck after this trip I know, I know another guy, his truck was in the shop for quite a while afterwards, and he's known for, I won't say who it is, but you know who you are, he's known for driving pretty crazy on the beach. Um, but anyway, so she, we lost sight of her behind the dunes, and Jim's looking out the uh, out the window, and I couldn't see it, but he throws the pigeon. And so what had happened was she had headed out over the dunes like this, and then turned back to us, and pitched up over the dunes, and she we were just in front of her. 
and he threw out the pigeon. She came down, strafed it half a dozen times, landed on the pigeon. And we're like, yes, okay. So I flip around, and there's another truck coming. Wow. And it, the beach is only so wide, and you're going to bump the bird. Thank heavens it was another falconer. So I'm flickering my lights, turning my blinkers on, try, trying to get them to stop. And they luckily stopped. And so one falconer on each side of the bird sitting there, she kind of starts to get a little nervous and tries to carry the uh, pigeon up into the dunes and panics when she can't because it's tethered. And then I see that telltale gap between the bird's feet and the pigeon. So I stomp on it, get up there. And when she panics, she turned to try to head out over the ocean. So now she's packing this pigeon, you know, not too far away from the surf, which is a problem. And so I, angle the truck between her and the surf and go ahead. so do you have a heavy drag or light drag or medium it's it's fairly heavy but they're okay. pretty powerful flyers and it's really windy on this island okay so the drag is, is of, like would would your drag get caught on trash or is it kind of like just so smooth there that they can just kind of go with it it's smooth so i use uh i think christopher maverick is the one who He's the one that they share the design. I don't know if it's his, but you have a PVC tube that's filled with, uh, um, it has a cap on it and it's filled with, you know, uh, putty with uh, steel shot in it. So it's got a good weight. And then the top of it is open so that mm-hmm. as it goes along, it catches on the sand and slows okay. it down. Okay. But she was still packing that drag, which is what you want. You don't want it to be a dead stop because then you're going to yeah. break nooses, toes, whatever, or, you know, that, that springing of them, of that gap opens yeah. up nooses too. So uh, I angled the truck between her and the surf. And at this point, the truck's in the ocean, but she, I, you know, she was almost there and I didn't want yeah. her getting in the ocean. So I look over at Jim. I'm like, Jim, stop the truck. And I just jump out because I don't want to take the time to like the truck's crawling. Oh, okay. I, I want to get on her before, yeah. you yeah. know, cause it, how many times have you taken that second to slam the thing in park and uh-huh. they come loose? Yeah. So she kind of swings around on the drag away from me. And every other time that I've grabbed a Raptor that we've trapped, they flip over on their back, they put their feet up towards you and they have their hackles up. She didn't do that. And I had, like thankfully seen a video the night before of guys trapping in the middle east and it was a long wing i don't know what kind of long wing it was and they just pinned the bird like around the base of the tail and grabbed it and like grabbed the legs that way and so Uh i'd seen it done and i was like that's how i have to do it because Mm -hmm. she's not going to flip over and i'm not going to try and make her flip over so i grabbed her and then that's the picture of me which is on our instagram of me holding up the bird on okay. Padre. Yeah. yeah. And then, oh, I didn't even, so I grabbed her and I turned and look at the truck and it's still rolling up the beach. <laughs> and I'm like, what's going on? Because I figured Jim would just reach over and throw it in a park or whatever. And then I see Jim come walking around the side of the truck because it's rolling. <laughs> He's like, I got it. I got it. And he couldn't, he didn't want to throw it in park with it moving or yeah. neutral, which is, you know, would have stopped it. Uh, so he just reached around and hopped in because it was, I mean, it was barely crawling up and down the beach. But so anyway, pretty funny story yeah. of, of catching the bird. And that's cool. We stayed another day and 
helped out and then went home. But she bite you? No, she wasn't. Uh, wasn't they, I've heard peregrines are bitey. They, they can be. They yeah. can be. There were some other guys that got bit. My particular bird, um, she had a chipped beak too. The the very point of of her beak was broken off, and she had yeah, rounded it off. And which oh, is kind of funny because I guess some guys will do that. Um, they'll cope the beak right when oh. they first catch it because they are so bitey. Oh, okay. um, so that they don't get their hands torn up when they're trying to get them used to being touched. Mm-hmm. But that's why like, when I got to the house with the bird, everyone's like, you, you already coped that bird's beak? Like, <laughs> no, it's just what she looks like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. She is a beach bird too. I mean, yeah. she's blonde and all that stuff. Yeah. So I would like that if I was going to take one. I'd want a blonde one. Yeah. There, there was a lot of dark birds caught this year. There was one that was a lot like a fair bit paler than she was even that we saw yeah. there. A big female. Yeah. I don't yeah. think anybody caught her, but it was fun, man. It yeah. was a lot of fun. Yeah, it sounds like it. It's definitely on my bucket list. Like it's something I got to do. It is yeah. worth going. It's yeah. worth going. Yeah. So what were the what were the Texas people like? Were they nice or kind of that made the trip for me in all honesty. So they're yeah. they were super friendly, super helpful. Uh, they get a house down there every year and we got to hang out with everybody at the house. And you know, I, I've met a lot of different falconers and yeah. with varying degrees of uh hospitality or amount that I want to be around them. Uh, that's I've been really impressed with the Falconers we've met over the last couple of years that just super nice people and it's been great to kind of get that sense of community back after flying kind of just by myself for so long with you know Mm -hmm. a handful of people around yeah that's good yeah 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 they they made the trip for sure Uh yeah kind of transitioned a little bit into the season at this point I think um I started training her without a drone. I did mm. some some looking. I didn't realize how cheap you could get a, a used drone. And I was yeah. like, oh, I'll just, I'll use pigeons and then bag uh, stuff for as needed. Yeah. And I got her going up like 250, 300 with that. Mm-hmm. And she kind of stagnated yeah. uh, as I was working on finding consistent slips. And one of the things that we were really struggling with is finding small ducks because she's one of those birds she does not like mallards or even gadwall she like anything that's it's more than a few ducks on a pond she might stoop them but Mm -hmm. she's going to be kind of half-hearted on it Mm -hmm. so once once later in the year came around and we had some smaller ducks it was it was a lot better yeah yeah well hopefully that'll get you know better achieve like fleshes out as a game hawk and um gets more experience more kills under your belt i'm hoping so and i i ended the season uh with using a drone Uh uh-huh yeah and that was a believer now well i was a believer before i just didn't think i could afford it and then i found out like that you can get a, a drone for 250 bucks that'll do everything that most people want them to do it's like why not so i Mm -hmm. i scraped up the money and got one and yeah and so how high did you take her on that 
well, he can't take it more than 400 feet. So 400 feet. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, so, but didn't you have a flight this year where she went like a thousand feet or something? Yeah. Okay. So tell us that. Cause that's kind of funny. Yeah. So I, like I said, I was having trouble finding ducks around here and I did some traveling. You know, I took her to NAFA. We flew our birds there. Um, on some she was mallards that mm. time and she checked off of them and didn't go up it was a weird situation we ended up having to chase your bird down out at nafa a little bit too mm, yeah yeah not, yeah could have been better but mm-hmm. she did fly pheasants there too and and she gave yeah, a, a pretty honest effort yeah, yeah pretty honest mm-hmm. effort on some male pheasants so that yeah. was cool but um I, I traveled around some i went out to kansas uh, at the end of the season and flew her and I went to Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where we had that flight where she went a thousand feet thermal yeah. thermaling. So yeah. there's, you know, it's not, not the same, but you don't have to mention that. <laughs> well, for honesty's sake, I'm not going to say I've got a bird that cranks up to a thousand feet at this point. I'm hoping this coming season we'll be able to put some more altitude on her, but I had flown her the evening before and she checked off of some ringnecks. They flushed with some Canada's and she just didn't, she gave it a really half-hearted effort, which is so disheartening because they, that's like, the, it's a perfect duck. Yeah. And it was a, like a really, really good slip. But I took her out the next day. Uh, Dan Murray is mm-hmm. uh, who was helping me and, we had a a great time down there and we found half a dozen probably like actually it was only like three or four ringnecks on this tiny little pond and there was another big pond that had a dozen ringnecks on it and we're like let's fly this little postage stamp over here put her up and this harrier came in as she's climbing and so she starts kind of chasing it around a little bit and they just start ringing Mm -hmm. ringing and ringing and ringing and I've got my GPS. I'm like 800, 850, 900, 950, 1,000. And yeah. she's kind of heading downwind a little bit, you know, which, you know, she's in a thermal. And I, uh, at this point, she's dead overhead of that other pond. So we hop in the truck and head to that pond. And the ringnecks flush off and they go wide. And I'm like, oh, yes, yes. And she kind of tips a wing. And then stays up there. And I'm like, oh, come on. Because if she would have came down, she would have yeah. killed one at 120 miles an hour. I mean, they're yeah. just out over nothing. Yeah. And she didn't isn't come it, down. Isn't it interesting? Like, did, did you feel like the ducks, when they took off, did they just take off straight away? Or do you feel like they took off and there was a feeling out period where they were like is she gonna come down and there was definitely did. a feeling out period because the way that they took they went one direction and then kind of looped back uh-huh. like not like probably 100 yards from the pond yeah. and then and before they really started heading away from it yeah so that definitely that like okay is she gonna do this or not yeah, yeah. then she's at a thousand feet so i'm like i've never called her down from that high obviously yeah. so yeah. i'm like great am i getting ready to lose my bird you know i've heard horror stories um mcdermott had a tundra that went up and he chased it 250 miles 
and had GPS on it. So the average speed of the bird was 72 miles an hour at a thousand feet and it just cranked south. Yeah. And he lost signal eventually just couldn't yeah. keep up with it. Yeah. And so I'm like, is this getting ready to happen? Cause this is already kind of, you know, I don't remember when this was. It was, yeah. Um, but it was, it was getting later in the year. Uh, but I pulled out the lure and she just folded and she was dead overhead, came straight down. I think she hit over a hundred miles an hour, like yeah. just came down and yeah. then dropped to the lure. It's like, you little turd, you couldn't have done that on the ducks. Yeah. Yeah. You should have just sent me a screenshot of the flight. I did. No, I did. No explanation. I did. You did? Is that yeah. what you did? Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And doesn't that, I've had that happen. I had a similar thing happen kind of, but isn't it frustrating when you're like, you know, you're, well, you know, you're trying to figure it out with your bird. You're like, ah, like if I taken too long to like get them going on game, like if I, you know, are they out of, are they in poor condition now? Have they gotten fat? Have they gotten, you know, too skinny, whatever. You're trying to figure it out mm -hmm. because you're trying to figure out how to make them go higher. Right. You know, they've leveled off at whatever pitch they have chosen to do that. And then they just randomly go to a thousand feet one day, you know? Yeah. Um, well, and that's go, go ahead. ahead. Good. No, go ahead. I'll tell you the story in a second. I was saying like, you know, we both kind of had a rocky start this season. You know, oh. you were having some hiccups with the uh, prairie and uh -huh. couldn't figure out exactly what was going on. And, you got that worked out and you know, this is my first long wing. So there's definitely been that learning curve of trying to figure out that balance of, mm -hmm. you know, the right weight, the right um, habits to be building into them and reading their body language, which is very different than other birds that I've flown in the past mm -hmm. and just getting that perfect situation for them. It's, it's not yeah. easy. There's a lot to it. And I, I still, I mean, I do not have this bird figured out by any means. We've got, you know, I learned a lot and I'm mm -hmm. hoping this next season will be a little better, but. Yeah. Um, I remember uh, a male prairie where I had a similar deal, but uh, I was flying. Well, you haven't done much kiting, but sometimes you like put up the kite, you know, and it's way windier up high than it is on the ground. Mm -hmm. Well, there was no wind on the ground and then the kite gets up there and I was only sending him to a couple hundred feet anyway. And, uh, or maybe 400 feet, I don't know. Um, but the kite was up pretty high because I was trying to keep a distance between him and the kite and the bait. Um, cause I feel like, especially with passage birds, you got to be careful because they can be, you can sour them on the kite if they have some negative experiences with mm -hmm. it, like it rattling or, you know, the kite's not steady up there if it takes a dive or, you know, or if you bring it down while they're eating. But anyway, uh, you know, it was howling up there and I was like, mm, we can just get it done. You know, it's almost, it's almost dark. We got to just get this flight in. He'll be fine. Yeah. Cut him loose. He goes and sits in a tree and, at that point I'd been struggling to break like 400 feet or whatever with him on the kite, trying to get him above that. And, uh, the kite started to dive and he was like, Oh hell no. And just took off and went way, way high and then came over 
and got over the top of the kite like what now expletive you know <laughs> and then turned and left but he definitely like went up came over ahead of the kite and was like looking down and i'm at that point i'm like launching the pigeon swinging the lure like doing mm-hmm. everything um and he i ended up having to get him back the next morning but uh, eventually i did get him going up to a thousand feet on the kite and then got him hawking at the end of the season but um it definitely like you know threw a whole wrench in the idea of like oh maybe like i they're not in very good shape anymore like maybe i you know i need to boost his weight up or like mm-hmm. slow down a little bit maybe i need to bring the kite back down and start over you know I'm, maybe i'm pushing him too fast that's one of the things that I'm noticing is that very rarely does it seem to be a, I mean, in certain conditions, sure, but it, it's not always a condition issue that a lot of it is mentally getting them in the right headspace to do stuff because they are way more capable than they let on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, the whole existence is built on like, um, uh, minimal waste of energy mm-hmm. you know what i mean so yeah yeah and talking about stuff going wrong you know once i started droning uh, yeah. i had the bird going up and i was raising her weight up you know trying to get her uh higher basically mm-hmm. you know and and she did fly pretty good towards the end where she was going up um that was one of the things i was worried about is you know i'm squeezing her too much she's i need her to be a little bit more rangy and uh-huh. wild and i had i think it was flying like 8 35 uh-huh. and which is was pretty high for her and she went up on it was one of those days where it's like it's pretty windy up there but the, i i think i can get the drone to hold and uh she you know she's done it fine so i pushed her a little bit put it up and she grabbed the parachute pulled it out of the tube and then let go of the bait and so it just starts sailing downwind uh-huh. and she'd come up grab it for a second and then let it go circle around yeah. grab it and let it go normally she would grab it hold it onto it and bring it pretty well straight down and this mm-hmm. this field that i'm in was like borderline not big enough anyway but it was yeah. like the spot that I had that was close that I had permission to fly. Yeah. So I'm running after her, chasing her, and I end up catching her right on the edge of the field. She was 30 yards from a tree. Yeah. And I'm like, I look at my phone. She's still in the air. And I see the parachute on the ground. I'm like, crap, look up. There's a red tail flying. Mm-hmm. What the heck? So she's flying around, scolding the red tail. Finally, she comes in and lands on the ground another 50 yards away looking for the parachute couldn't find it and i tossed it out to her and she came over but like it's crazy just how wrong things can go Mm -hmm. and one of the things i was going to mention earlier about birds getting grabbed by other birds it didn't help me having gps at this time because i was close Uh she uh she had grabbed the parachute out and carried it down was in this field and i had Raylan and Devin with me, my, my wife and my son. And Raylan was trying to find, uh, follow me and he can't keep up with me. And I'm trying to get to her quickly because I don't know if she's 
yeah, there, there's she's right on the edge of the split of this field that has one has cows in it and one doesn't. So I'm mm-hmm. trying to get there to make sure she doesn't get stomped. Mm-hmm. And as I'm coming up, he's you know falling behind me, but he's a ways away. And I have to go over the lip of this hill and cross a fence to get to her. So yeah. I cross the fence, I look at her and see that she's sitting on the parachute eating. And I'm like, okay, she's okay. So I turn to Raylan to tell him, hey, come up here. You know, I'm having to yell to come up here to this stock tank so that you're not in the field with all the cows. Make sure that he doesn't get stomped. Yeah. And as I'm turning around yelling at him, I hear her start to cack. And I turn around and this red tail comes in and whacks her, knocks her off of the parachute bait and rolls her and she uh they kind of stand there and crab for a second and so i come you know running over hollering and the red tail looks at her looks at me is like oh screw this and leaves yeah it's like if i wasn't right there i think it easily killed her if mm-hmm. she wasn't you know because i mean it did hit her it, it knocked yeah. her over and it surprised me that she let like she apparently saw it coming you know mm-hmm. was cacking at it but I, I had so many run-ins with red tails and other stuff Dude. this year. I had a red tail come in and smoke a uh, pheasant. Yeah. I had thrown a pheasant for her and she came in and, and put it in to, and she doesn't like hitting pheasants on the ground, which I don't uh-huh. blame her, uh, is on the ground after she had missed it in the air. And she looped around behind me and I start hearing her call. I'm like, what the heck? And this red tail came and did a stoop from like 250 300 feet and just hammers this pheasant and it's standing there and she loops around and, and is vocalizing again and uh, comes in and runs it off but yeah i had eagles i had bald eagles chase her after she had chased down a teal like it's just so yeah. many borderline times when you've got this many trees and other birds and stuff around there's stuff could go wrong mm-hmm yeah a lot of red tails in the Midwest yeah. and eagles and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this year for me, like, I don't know. I have this like pipe dream that someday I'm going to catch a bunch of prairie chickens with a prairie falcon. And uh, so I'm like gearing towards that goal while being stuck in Kansas city, which is hard. Um, and it's hard to make a big flying game hawk in Kansas city because, uh, there's so much stuff. Like there's just, yeah. there's, uh, airports, um, other birds, there's so much check like pigeons, uh, starlings, you know, the place where I fly, like I have to fly there. Cause like, that's, that's about all there is unless I want to drive, you know, an hour. And if I want to fly as much as I think that I need to, um, I'll fly like right after work, like I'll get off work after working a 12 hour shift, 7 PM to 7 AM, go fly, uh, and then come back, go to bed and go to work that night, you know? Mm-hmm. So I need to be able to get there, fly and get back. So I'm really limited. Um, and so I had problems at the, as I got to the pitches that I want, like 700 feet plus, I'd say that's like my goal minimum is 700 feet. Um, I was having issues with her breaking off, you know, cause by that point, by the time she's 700 feet high, the odds that she doesn't see another opportunity elsewhere are 
pretty slim or at least mm-hmm. it seemed that way because she would just stoop you know and go chase something yeah and uh, and again i don't have gps so i'm watching all this through my binoculars so things are going down and i don't know what's happening and and sometimes she might kind of come back and sometimes not we really hadn't gotten to the to remounting uh, sure. level of flying yet um and so then you know eventually i decided you know eventually i gotta just like throw something like because she's got if i don't keep her attention something else is gonna get it so the first time i tossed for her she was still climbing and she did what it seems like a lot of prairie falcons do which is go downwind and then gain some altitude maybe 400 feet and then they'll come back to you flying basically on a straight line or tacking back and forth um and then they'll get to pitch when they get to you um so she uh was still downwind maybe four or five hundred feet and then i tossed and then the next time uh same thing except she was closer to overhead tossed and then uh i think i tossed you know maybe just a couple more things for her and she was going up i just luckily i had a bird that didn't plateau like she would just keep going you know and she seems to plateau at about a thousand feet ish um uh, she doesn't really set her wings until then or if you wait her out she responds the right way which is by saying okay and going higher Mm-hmm. you know and selena was nice because she was a ringer she would like come overhead at whatever pitch she thought was acceptable usually around 700 feet and if i waited her out she'd make another ring 800 not good enough okay 900 and she would just keep doing that mm-hmm. up and up and up but each time she rings, she stayed in position like she never just left and came back this bird is a lot more out of control and so pushing that envelope of, okay, she's 500 feet killable pitch, but I, you know, I don't want to lower her pitch. I want more. Right. So I got to wait her out. And luckily this is a bird that responded the right way. She didn't come down. She didn't set her wings and just say, no, I'm not going any higher. She will just go off and go higher. And sometimes she'll come back. Sometimes she won't, but at least she goes higher. So I try to reward that. And, uh, that's that's an interesting thing, and that's something I'd like to talk to somebody who's flown a lot of passage peregrines. That this bird, she's perfectly content with like cruising around at a hundred feet, mm-hmm. and it's like she's she's okay with doing that. And she'll you, do it forever. Yeah. And how do you, are, without a drone or some directive incentive to go up? How do you? do it other than waiting them out and then right and if waiting them out doesn't work then what do you do right and that's you know the drone definitely helped but even if i had her going pretty high to the drone she'd still certain times she'd go out and if she thought you were like if you you know look like you're gonna bag something for her if she or if you flew somewhere that she had like flown a couple times and hadn't had success there Mm -hmm. or even if she had had success there she very well may just say, okay, I'm going up. I might go 200 downwind. And then when I come over, I'm going to lose a bunch of altitude and I'm going to come over at 150 feet and I'd wait her out 
and then she'd get bored, go sit in a tree, mm-hmm. and maybe she'd sit on the edge of the field. Maybe she'd go a ways away and look at something and sit in a tree, and then she'd come over. But yeah. she'd still only be at 150 feet. Yeah. And, and there were times when she'd do it right where she was, you know, 300 or whatever. And that's, those are times I'd flush for her. But, mm-hmm. you know, the next time she'd still go do that. And it's like when you've got such limited slips, it's uh-huh. really on little ducks because uh-huh. she, she wouldn't chase mallards with any kind of gusto except for one time she tried yeah. to hit a Drake mallard. And she just barely, I wish she would have caught that freaking thing because it was in the air. She was in good position, wheeled around. It didn't see her coming. It just saw her at the last second and juked and and she missed. Mm-hmm. Like, I wish she would have caught that thing. But when yeah. you've got, you know, I mean, only a certain number of little, of little ducks around and mm-hmm. they booger up the setups. Yeah. It's like, what do you do? What do you yeah. do? Yeah. And it's... And this is this whole phenomenon is part of why I think long winging hasn't lost its uh, magic for me is Mm -hmm. because it is magic. And like, like, I don't know, even the great masters of the sport, you know, guys that have done it. The thing is, is uh, they still like there's there's this element of. Yeah, I don't know. You just do it. Mm-hmm. You just it. There's there's this element of uh, I don't know it. That's uh, I don't even I don't have a term for it. Magic, right? Right. And Fucking so this is a, a conversation that me and and Murray had because yeah. he's in an area with a lot of really really high quality long wingers, and okay. so and he's a, he's a very good falconer, I'd say, from what I've seen. Um, and I got to go out and fly with some of the guys out there when I was out there and see these peregrines that are big flyers. And it was really cool. Uh, but you say, yeah, it's like, okay, you kind of talk with them and it's that same thing. Yeah. It's never the same thing with the same bird. Like, well, then what is it? Because you are some of the people that consistently get birds to go up to 16, 1700 feet and come down and whack chickens. So you're doing like, there's, there's something that you're doing. It's not just, you know, random chance. And so what I would love to do sometime is live close enough to those guys where you can go out, you know, a couple times a week, day in, day out, whatever it is, and see that decision-making process and see what they do differently that makes it work for those birds. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. There's, uh, one of uh, someone who I would consider to be in that echelon of falconers told me a good falconer makes at least a mediocre game hawk out of every hawk that comes into his possession, which to me seems reasonable. Like, yeah, yeah there's there's variation in individuals, like with genetics and stuff, and and their life experiences. Like, luckily, I don't feel like I did anything that trained my bird to respond the way she does to not being served like luckily she just goes up she just continues to go up and flies bigger and ranges out but like not all birds do that just right and like i said i don't feel like i did anything special i just got lucky with that one she just does it yeah i'd be 
oh, I'd be miserable if I had the opposite, you know, a bird that comes down is like, well, you didn't serve. So I guess I'm coming down for my free meal. Yeah. And then, and then what do you do? You know, I, you, I've heard both sides of things, you know, where it's like, okay, you feed your bird minimal when they do that. I've mm-hmm. also heard, oh no, you feed her no matter what, because mm-hmm. you know, it's a learning opportunity still. And the parents feed the birds no matter what, even if they're being goofy. Like, yeah. It the, the thing that's so frustrating to me, which I love the frustration of it, but it is definitely frustrating, is you're trying to communicate what you require or you want from the bird in a language neither of you understand. <laughs> like yeah. you're not you're not sure. Like you know what you're trying to communicate. Yeah. But you're not sure if it's being interpreted the way that you want it to be interpreted yeah yeah you're yeah man that's that's exactly what it is you're trying to put it to them in a language that is not quite their language and not quite your language something in between that nobody really gets (laughs) but somehow magically it can happen and you can have success right right yeah and I think that the guys that are, that are able to do it consistently have a better understanding of that language. Yeah. And I, I've said in the truck, I don't know how many times I've had a conversation with the birds. It's like, just go up. I will flush the ducks. You come yeah. down and you kill it. And I will give you all you want to eat for a week. Like if you just do it the right way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Yeah. I love it, man. I love it, but it, it is definitely frustrating at times. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can remember, uh, it was even after we had been going pretty well, turned the bird out and I had, I think it was gadwall, if I remember right, which are not that big of a duck. Um, they're definitely smaller than mallards. And there was like three or four of them on this tiny little pond. She goes up, she goes like 250 feet. I'm like, okay, that's good enough for me. You know, that's kind of where she stagnates. If I wait any longer, she's probably going to move out of position. I go to flush and I, by myself, I pick up a rock and I throw the rock. Ducks flush. She comes down and lands next to me and looks up at me. I'm like, oh, it's because did you throw rocks before that? No. I bet it's because you threw the rock. It could be, but I've done that yeah. every time I flushed because it was a big enough pond that. Uh, no, I mean you've thrown rock. You had thrown rocks before that happened. Mm. I'm asking you, have you? I don't remember at that point. Because like you hear stories about like you drop something. Mm. You know, you drop your glove out of your pocket. Your hat falls off, and they come down because they think you're throwing out the lure. Gotcha. And it very well, it very well could have been that. Yeah. But it was just like, still though, still though, I can see wanting to pull my hair out. Yeah. Well, and you know, I'd hate than to throw rocks, but at the same time, if I don't. Yeah. You might not get a good flush. Right. It's unlikely I'm going to get the burst of flush on a bigger piece of water. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Did you feel like there was a difference between her enthusiasm for chasing stuff with the number of things like uh would she would she chase smaller flocks 
with greater gusto. Absolutely. So yeah. she does. She does not like if there are a lot of ducks on a piece of water. Uh-huh. She doesn't like it. If if there are big ducks mixed in, she's less likely to go in at all. If not uh-huh. initially, sometimes she'll wait until she says, "Oh, those are smaller," and goes in on them. Yeah. But yeah, if like, I've had times where it's like I had shovelers mixed in with mallards. The shovelers okay. are are perfect. You know, they're tiny, and I'm and. Uh, my I caught three ducks with her. All three were hooded mergansers, and all three were like just the perfect setup. Like yeah. they're they're slow. There's only a few of them, and they flushed. And like she was had them dead to rights. But yeah, mm-hmm. uh, the times when there were mallards and stuff mixed in, like yeah, she'd either chase half heartedly or wait too long or. It's part of it. I'm hoping that she gets a little bit more aggressive in her second season because that was the biggest frustration. Is I can put pitch on her a little bit. I can deal with you know the limited slips that we have, but her not taking advantage of some of them. Like if if she would have just hit mallards, we would have stacked them up this year, man. Like there were there was a lot of ducks around at times, yeah. but there were so many times just like, well, she's not like can't do that there's mm-hmm. those are mallards are yeah no. yeah limiting your already limited slips frustrating right yeah uh selena her first season um wouldn't stoop at, at first flocks of hunts cubbies mm-hmm. of hunts uh i had to hawk a pair first which i felt bad about but then after that once she killed a couple didn't matter 15 yeah. hunts sure she'd stoop right in the middle of them but at first do it. that's why i'm really hoping this year i'm gonna be able to travel some more and get out you know kansas oklahoma wherever and find some really good slips that even mm-hmm. if they've got uh you know multiple ducks bigger ducks whatever that yeah. we can because so many of the stuff that's around here is marginal uh-huh. and, I, and i feel like her confidence got shattered early because she'd yeah. stoop stuff and it dumped back in and yeah. so she's like well i'm not I, you know she got mm-hmm. pretty frustrated and so i'm hoping we can start off on a better foot and and do it the right way yeah but she uh, she did she did one the right way this year yeah mm-hmm. uh, that was that was good two of the hooded mergansers was like just ratty and she yeah the first one it put in on this like little trickle of water out uh-huh. of this field that was feeding into the pond after she missed it in the air and uh, she had she had chased one a hen and it, it like looped around and came back into the pond and then the uh the drake dumped in whenever she was chasing that and so i knew it was out there and i went out and flushed it and she tried to hit it missed and then like basically landed on it like just hopped over and grabbed it but uh-huh. the second one was good she went up like 250 300 feet i flushed it flushed clean and it went uh, wide and she came in right behind it and just pow power bound to it i heard that thud and just brought it down nice that was cool yeah but the third one was also ratty though like she came down and it was, it's weird how they are sometimes mm-hmm. uh, it, it she missed it it hit the ground and then you know put it answers are not very big mm-hmm. um and it couldn't get back up it was like f- trying to fly and she came in and it dodged her a couple times on the ground and then she just landed next to it. 
I'm like, yeah. why, why are you not binding to this thing? Like it's, it's clear she doesn't have much experience, which, you know, it's something you kind of hope for that they do have some experience in a passage bird. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I've heard people talk about, especially with the tundras is they kind of, there's a theory that they come down a little bit in family groups and yeah. that the females, the, the falcons rob the tearsels coming down a lot of the yeah. time, I which I, I could definitely see that. There was a lot of bullying on the beach from different birds. If something grabbed something, a lot of times the other ones would come in and uh, try and, and rob it. So I could definitely see that she hasn't caught a lot of stuff on her own coming down. Uh-huh. Did you see, real quick, did you see many other raptors on the beach? Or was it just peregrines? We saw crested carcaras, okay. um, some merlins, some uh, kestrels. That was pretty much it on the beach. Oh, no, we did see a hair sock, too. Oh, you saw hares? Mm-hmm, yeah. Did the, were the merlins, did it look like they were migrating, too? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. So... Yeah, well, I'm I'm looking forward to when she's like made and everything, your bird, because uh, like it'll be it'll be fun to um, hawk together. And some that I did this year that I haven't ever done before was hawk like big flocks of ducks, like mm-hmm. fifty ducks on a pond, you know. Yeah, and that's pretty fun, especially if your bird goes reasonably high, because it's not just like flush, stoop, hit, kill, done it's like flush and the ducks are like milling around and there's this feeling out period of, you know, some are like, are we going to, are we going to try to make it to the next pond or not? You know, and the Falcon, if they're smart, doesn't go right away. Like they're Mm going to dip a wing and kind of hurt them like a, you know, like a shark and a school of fish or something or dolphin or whatever, because there's definitely like sky hurting going on. You know, if they, when and when they break out away when they finally commit to leaving which hopefully if you cause enough ruckus around the pond some of them decide to do that mm-hmm. um then your bird folds up and so there's sometimes multiple stoops within one flight you know she's at a thousand she'll stoop down to 700 and pull up stoop down to 500 and pull up and then finally make her final shot at whoever decides that they can make it or yeah they can make it yeah and i think flights like that i feel like i'm starting off on a better foot coming into this season having a drone having a bird that's you know has caught some stuff and i'm really hoping i can get taka back to close to 100 percent and then incorporate him a little bit there's just so many moving pieces it was hard to add him to the mix because he's not the best behaved dog by any means uh, but having a dog that will go in and flush ducks, mm-hmm. especially on some of my slips, is is going to make a big difference. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I don't know where I'll be at next year, bird wise. Uh, like I still have the same bird and everything. This will be our third season together. Um, my dad started her, got her wed to the kite her first season. Um, and then I hawked with her last year, second season. And uh, so where did you guys end the first season with her? What was she? Wed to the kite at 500 feet. Gotcha. Yeah, wrapped her in uh, December. 
and it's not uh, a lot of time to get a no prairie i mean wolf. i know guys can do it a lot faster and i could probably do it faster but the thing is is like i don't know it takes a while to get a prairie tamed down well that there's that i mean and she's still like pretty wild um but like the thing is i have a system so far that seems to work like yeah it takes me a while you know it takes me a season season and a half to get what i want but so far i get what i want like i get a prairie falcon that goes really high it comes down and kills shit so like that's what I want. I don't want mm -hmm. a 300 foot prairie falcon. I want a thousand foot prairie falcon, you know? Um, if I wanted to just kill stuff, that's what I'd do. I'd get a prairie falcon and, and not like, uh, I'm sounding like a long wing snob, but like, <laughs> if that's what you're into, like by all means. And like, I was envious of one of my friends this year who uh, flies a number, he flies multiple falcons and he will fly any time of day, all day, fly any bird pretty much any weight as long as he can get it back and he kills a lot of shit and has a lot of fun and his birds fly reasonably well like respectably well 400 feet you know ish mm -hmm. uh plus sometimes they'll go really high Are you talking uh, about yeah chris lee no no oh, okay. this person's gonna remain nameless okay uh, gotcha so, i got to i just just curious i got to see uh chris lee's bird catches first his, his peregrine catches first duck this year it was pretty cool Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, took the mm -hmm. yeah. 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 I got to fly with Chris a little bit this year and that was a lot of fun. Um, I think it was his first duck anyway. I don't think it was. I think his first duck was a Merg. Oh, maybe. Okay. So second duck. It was, was like it. his second duck. Yeah. Okay. But I got to fly with Chris and he's, man, he's one of those just like earthy, good people, just a good soul, you know, like he's a, he's a good dude. Pleasant. Yeah. Nice guy um salt of the earth that's what he is mm -hmm. uh so uh yeah it takes me a while but i get where i want to be so far uh 100 mm -hmm. of the time which isn't that i don't have much of a sample size but i want to get i don't know a decent sample size before i start experimenting with new things you know sure I know, I, I think I know what works and I'm going to continue to make sure that it works before I start saying, Oh, well maybe I'll do away with the drone now or, you know, or maybe I'll do it a different way <clears throat> or maybe I'll skip this step, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but what I, yeah, what I want is a high flying prairie. And it was, it was a mixed blessing this year again, especially without a GPS because she flew, really big and she would be a thousand feet high or whatever but a speck on the horizon you know and it mm -hmm. wasn't until later that late in the season that i started being able to trust her that she would come back you know i was too chicken to wait her out and for me anyway getting a prairie falcon to go really high the biggest battle is getting him to go really high consistently right you know? and not thermally just a high, you know, getting them to act like a Drew Peregrine, basically. Um, that's the hardest thing for me. And uh, Drew Peregrines are freaking awesome birds, man. I'll see, never. 
I'll never forget the first time I saw a Drew Peregrine fly. It was your dad's bird, and we uh-huh. ended up chasing it. Uh, uh-huh. But just like the way they eat up the sky, they are very powerful flyers. And I understand why guys like that's that's the bird for chickens. Like if you want to slay chickens, yeah, that's the bird to fly. Yeah, yeah. I think I mean especially with like a male. Like you could probably kill more chickens with a female, but getting one to how would you describe it it's like uh getting better flights out of them i think yeah is. you know they're more agreeable they're easier mm-hmm. to handle and manage and all that stuff and get good crazy pitches out of mm-hmm. you know whereas a female yeah like she's gonna pack a lot bigger hit but getting her to go to a thousand feet and fly spectacularly and also getting the, fl- the chickens to flush clean underneath her might be a little bit trickier too thing about chickens is is I, I know you can find ratty setups but from what i've seen um when you fly them like they just i, I don't know, i'm sure they can be a rat i'm i'm sure they can't but where you fly them it's just it's not it's not really an option for them it's like fly or die and that's gotcha. how they seem to approach it even when they're flown i'm trying to think I've seen them flown under a female, big, you know, female peregrine. I have not seen them flown under a jerkin or a uh, uh, female jerk peregrine, which are about the same size. But um, from what I've heard from guys that do, like there's a significant difference between sharp tails and prairie chickens mm-hmm. uh, in terms of how honest they are as quarry. Gotcha. Um, so, uh, yeah, if you want to, I mean, it's like driving a Ferrari versus like, or like a compound bow versus a recurve. Like I was saying earlier, Prairie Falcons is like a recurve and a Jerry Peregrine's like a compound, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, it was hard. It was hard. It was hard because I'm trying to kill the most difficult thing in my mind. Some people would say sage grouse or harder um but uh just trying to enter a bird like i've got i'm trying to reward the thing for going up you know that's the most important thing is i want you to feel good about going up you went up Mm -hmm. i want you to have a positive experience from that um but i also want to kill these damn chickens right here like real bad you know and so i had this problem where getting her high enough while also in position which to to adequately do chickens especially i mean you can't she might have been she definitely could have caught up to some or she would catch up to them and just wouldn't hit them Mm -hmm. she'd be way upwind which is great you know if your bird is dead serious because they can come screaming across the sky and catch up to them and still pound them or bind to them um but if they're just gonna follow them that does no good but i just had a real hard time getting her to be high enough and dead overhead she's high enough and off to the side little downwind little or way upwind or whatever and i just never got the opportunity where she could just come down and just cold cock one from the top which right 
Yeah. It's interesting just how steep that learning curve is. It's not just for you. It's for both of you. You know, like you're, you're learning what you need to do to find consistent chicken slips and the right way to approach them and use the terrain features. And there's a lot to it. It's not just like finding ducks on a pond, which I mean, there's, there's still, you know, things you got to do there too, but it's, it's a lot more dynamic setup. And then your bird has to figure out with limited slips where they need to be their timing that they can catch them and it's Mm -hmm. something that's very very challenging for them to catch Mm -hmm. yeah even if they do everything right it's still very tough you know and and i'm entering her on this shit so like trying to keep her confidence up Mm -hmm. you know after getting smoked five times with any and and me at first avoiding ducks because i'm like if if she ever at least in my mind i had this idea that if she ever left a chicken slip for a duck slip i'm gonna kill myself like (laughs) because i showed her ducks i would rather her never know what like that ducks are even a possibility but towards the end it was like okay i have access to chickens ducks and bagged pheasants Mm -hmm. what's the next best thing to chickens you know, because she started to follow them, pull off of them. She wouldn't hit them. And, uh, and again, I think it was partially the flock thing, which it was difficult again, because if she'd be dead overhead, a single chicken will get up one, two, and then everybody starts getting up individually. Instead of if the bird is a little bit out of position, the whole flock gets up. Right. They're like, Oh, here we go, boys. And they head out. And, and so if you've got a bird that's going to be shy about hitting a flock of birds, like we've talked about with, uh, young birds, um, then you're double because your bird is, should I be using this kind of language? Uh, because your bird is a little bit out of position already. So they're already handicapped. And then they're also leery about hitting a flock of birds. So Mm -hmm. dang it. You know, but if she'd be dead overhead, then a single would probably get up first. And then Mm -hmm. it's like perfect single bird. She's dead overhead. That's what you need. Right. And, uh, God, it was frustrating. But then, so I started hawking ducks because I didn't have access to anything else. And I felt like baggies, uh, they're not, they're not always an additive thing. No, no, they can make it worse mm-hmm. or, or, you know, they can get your bird to start holding out for a baggie and they definitely know the difference. Oh, absolutely. You know, when they see it, especially if they see it come out of your hand, I, I don't know what the difference is if you use a remote launcher. I've heard it's, you know, it, it's better than releasing them out of your bag, yeah. but it's still not, you know, they're That's not flying the same way, you know, mm-hmm. they're, unless you've got really, really strong baggies, which are very hard to find. Yeah. And it's, it's just not the same as a wild bird. Right. Right. So I, uh, that's my plan this year because what, you know, we started hawking ducks and she handled ducks, no problem. Um, and, uh, and even flew them like, like an experienced game hawk, like would, you know, hold off until they clear the pond and all that mm-hmm. stuff, which is nice. That's awesome. Um, See, and I know you want to catch chickens and that's, you know, your goal. Nothing says yeah. you have to do it, you know, this year with this bird. You yeah. know, it can be something that you work towards and as you work out the kinks and get in the ideal setup, you know, that's one of the things I, I really want to live somewhere that I have 
better access to better slips, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, that's a work in progress. And you know, it doesn't, yeah. you know, it doesn't mean that I can't fly what's around here uh, for the time being, but you know, you're, yeah. you're not in the ideal setup right yeah. now to, to make that happen. Right. You know, so, fly, fly what you got. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm going to try to do is uh, like I said, make her a more rounded game hawk. And because I feel like I, you know, I can get her 10 chicken slips and she won't kill on a single one of them. Or I can get her 10 mixed slips with one chicken slip thrown in there. And I bet that she would come closer on the one chicken slip in a mixed bag of 10 than Mm -hmm. she would on any of 10 single chicken slips. You know what I mean? Yeah. They've only, I mean, there's a, like you said, there's a lot of moving pieces and confidence is a big one. Yeah. I, that's my plan is take pheasant slip. Good. I mean, well, not without destroying my birds pitch, take pheasant slips, duck Mm -hmm. slips, killing anything that we can get our hands on. Right. Right. Yeah. That's my plan. And throwing chickens in there when you can. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that's that's one of the things. Burn her out on them. Right. That's one of the things I'm really kicking around the idea of, I don't, it won't be this year because I want to focus on the peregrine, but if I'm stuck, you know, where I'm at long-term, then flying doves down here with either like a passage female Merlin or maybe if I can get my hands on a Perlin or something, or even like a, a Tearsal Tundra would yeah. i think would be pretty fun mm-hmm. i mean cobra's place is not that far from here and that's what he made his living doing is fine flying yeah. does with peregrine so yeah there's just so many of them around and it would be interesting to try and and make a go at them yeah yeah and they're kind of i mean it seems like they'd be reasonably you know the way you hunt them is you find where they're flying into a field where they're mm-hmm. eating a lot and then you set up with a bunch of guys around the field and you have a good time. But it seems like they'd be reasonably findable in that way. You know, like if you had half a dozen fields that doves frequent, you know, yeah. and then you just, and even with a uh, bird dog, you know, you mark roughly where they are in the field or you, if you know where the spilled grain is or whatever it is that they're feeding on or a little puddle that they're drinking from. I see them in uh, like cattle lots a lot down here. Uh, feeding on like, or drinking out of stock tanks and stuff? Mm-hmm. Or? Yeah, one of the spots that I train at has um, like an old sorting setup, I guess, where they've got gates and all this. And every oh. time I go out there, there's doves sitting on the on the gates. Yeah. And I don't know how honest a quarry they would be. I've heard from guys that it's kind of mixed, you know, mm-hmm. that, that they will use cover if they've got it, but mm-hmm. that they will also try and outfly a bird, which yeah. does surprise me because they're very powerful flyers. But, and they also, you know, they're, they're loose feathers. They can take a hit. Uh-huh. It's, it's hard for birds to hold on to them, mm-hmm. but we'll see. Yeah, I'll see if that ever comes to fruition. Right. That's fun, man. It was good to talk to you and all this craziness. Hopefully, we'll get yeah. to get together sometime here pretty quick mm-hmm. and get yeah. some fishing. Yeah, yeah. I would like to like to float the eleven point and fish it properly. We can do that. Yeah, uh, I've got some time off coming up soon, so hopefully we can do something. Yeah. All right. Let's get something planned. Thank right. you guys for listening, and happy hawking.